My name is Kevin Tony, and you're now listening to the Uncommon Sense Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Uncommon Sense Podcast. And I'm, I'm going to be fully transparent with everybody uh, that's listening right now, because I always want to be honest and, and straight up with, with the listeners. This interview that you're about to hear, this is the re-up. This is round two. I'm going to be honest, because the last, the first go around, I dropped the ball and <laughs> I didn't hit the record button. And it was just a, a insane conversation. It was a blessing. It was a good talk. And I honestly... You know, my wife made a point. She said, well, maybe that conversation was meant just for you and him. And I thought, okay, I'll look at it that way. But we got it right this time. uh, And I want everybody to welcome this brother that I've been following on on social media for the last two years. He's got a lot of great content. And his opinions are some that I want the the listeners here to, to just... You know, I want you to take in what he says. You're going to hear some things that are going to challenge you, but it needs to be heard. So everybody, please welcome. He is Blanchard to the Uncommon Sense podcast. What's happening, man? What's up, man? And thank you for having me back, man. Yeah. No, thank you for coming back. (laughs) I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I am too, man. So uh, just real quick, I I will share with everybody how I, how I found your page because it's a great, it it was a great introduction. It was very unexpected. And I was on Instagram uh, two years ago and I was scrolling through the explore page. And, you know, this was before, this was back when it was IGTV and they weren't doing reels. So uh, they weren't really popping up the, the TV clips on the explore page so when one would come up you know i would click on it and this this video came up this guy was sitting in a chair and he was like i you know i wasn't no sound on but you could tell he was fussing about something and i was like what's this guy i just i some made me click on it and i did and you were going in about january 6th this was fresh after the quote-unquote insurrection happened and you were going off man about how you felt about, you know, the perception of, you know, the media and the coverage and, you know, how you were looking at the response from the black community. And that was my introduction. And so when I listened to you, I had to hear more. So I started combing through your your social media videos. And I said, man, this is so much good content, man. Like I, I immediately started following you and keeping up with what you were saying. And from that point, up until now, you know, did you think that you would, you know, be on this path or or find yourself in the space that you're in on social media right now? Honestly, man, I had uh, no idea. And like I said before, that video went viral. And but as I'm doing my rant on the video, I only see like maybe 60 people on the live. Mm hmm. Honestly, if I knew that many people would have been watching my video, I probably would have said all the stuff I said. So I guess it was a good thing. Yeah. But I had so many people coming up to me. I mean, one guy I worked with said his mom showed him the video. I'm just like, it was, wow. I mean, like people like, 
celebrities, like it, like it went crazy, right? And I had no idea that it was going to get that big, so I kind of was unprepared. Um, you know, I was just rant, I was just ranting in my mm-hmm. in my office. Yeah, you know, I wasn't even thinking about the magnitude of what I was even saying. Um, but I guess it was a blessing because it kind of catapulted my uh, platform and content. Um, but yeah, I had no idea that I many folks were going to see that video, honestly. Yeah, and it was a good one, and the perspective you took on your opinion of what was happening was completely different. I think that's why it was so polarizing because it was different than what everybody was saying. So just kind of share what your opinion was of January 6th. So, you know, the listeners can know exactly, you know, what drew me in. So the January 6th, um, I don't call it an insurrection, but because to me, a lot of it was uh, staged and fabricated, but I think the intent behind January 6th was people being fed up. Mm-hmm. Namely, uh, I would say conservative whites, but there was there were other races of people there as well. So I would just right. say conservative people that cared about America were upset. Mm-hmm. And they went down to the Capitol and the media is telling everybody that it was racism. Um, even, for instance, when they had the noose hanging at the Capitol, mm-hmm. I had to remind people that the noose is, is not just symbolic of slavery. Right. They used to, that was a form of, that was a death penalty back in the day. You know, if you was caught with treason or anything like that, they hang, they hang. They hung you, yep. Hung, yeah. So I said, that's not racism, that's history. And I said, now imagine y'all saying this is racism and they're literally in Chocolate City. And I said, so if they were going to attack uh, black people, Washington, D.C. would be the best place to start. Right. And I guess second would be Atlanta. But was, they bypassed Chocolate City and went straight to the Capitol. Yep. And you didn't you didn't see any racist signs. You didn't hear any racial. You didn't see nothing dealing with race. <laughs> that is nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so I was just like, my frustration was black people have a very narrow view of the world. Mm-hmm. Everything is black and white. And when I say black and white, I'm talking about white people. And black yeah, people. Right. You know, and so everything to, if it doesn't involve black or white, then black folks for the most part don't care about it. So black people don't really care about global issues, you know, great recess, new world order. If it's not a black and white issue, black people pretty much going to tune out of it. Exactly. Yep. And so and I mean and that and that's <clears throat> but so my frustration was I'm hearing all these folks talking about um the white people are taking just just foolish rhetoric. And I honestly if went through would- all these I went through all these videos and I was like, you know what? No. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, it was a mess, man. And you had, I, I, you had a lot of another thing that, that I found that we do in our community when it's not about us, we try to make it about us mm-hmm. by, by saying stuff like, well, if we did that, they would have done this and this would have happened to us. And, you know, black people know better than to do that. Cause they would have, it's like, okay, even when it's not about you, you still want to complain. 
you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, the, the, all of that, that you said drew me in and the biggest point that to me that stood up, that that jumped out immediately was one of the first things you said is I told y'all to leave these white people alone because (laughs) (laughs) you you said when they get mad, they don't tear up their neighborhood. They go to the source. They go to the to the government. They go to the Capitol building. They want to go to the people that can actually affect change. Right. To voice their complaints where we go down the street and, you know, tear up the gas station or, you know, the the liquor store that we go to all the time. So right. <clears throat> that's what that that was what drew me in, man. And as I started, you know, going through your content and it was just like it was relatable because it made so much sense. And I was just kind of like, man, why is it so hard for us to understand? And, you know, it's, it's a clear message and you get so much pushback. And I know you mentioned last week that you don't get as much pushback now as you did in the beginning, but in the beginning when you were, what was that like? I mean, it was crazy, man. I, you know, I was getting called everything but a child of God. Um, mm-hmm. You know, coon, bootlicker, mm-hmm. sellout, uh, uncle. Like, I mean, literally just. Yeah. And, and, and the irony of this is, is I've never been called these names by white people. <laughs> never. Like, I, I was getting racial slurs from black people. It was, it was like, <laughs> it was insane. And I'm just like, wait a minute. It's one thing to disagree with me. But y'all are talking like I'm just the the lowest thing on the planet. Yeah. Like I told you last time, I get more disagreements now in person because folks will watch my content and then they'll see me in real life. And then that's when they'll, they they don't, most folks don't want to go online anymore and do it because most of my followers will get on them if they start talking crazy online. Yeah, right. But if they see me in person, they want to have a discussion about how I'm wrong, how I'm, you know, taking up for white people, how I don't know the history. And I'm saying, I say, listen, man, everybody knows slavery. I said, first mm-hmm. of all, why y'all talk about the slavery? Yeah. Everybody know what happens. It's, it's not a secret. Like you're, you're not like talking about slavery doesn't move the needle at all. No. Like everybody no. knows about it, you know? And um, it's just crazy. Because even in my even in my rant, I don't know what folks were saying in the comments, but even in even in my rant, I'm telling black people that if something pops off in America, mm-hmm. y'all are not gonna do nothing. <laughs> so the best thing to do is just get out the way. Yeah. And like again, we specialize, black folks specialize in marching protesting, um, stuffing ballots, tearing up the mm-hmm. community, stealing, stealing flat screens, stealing bundles, taking PS5, you know. Yeah. Black people specialize in tearing stuff. Black folks don't specialize in war, strategy, no. none, mm-hmm. of that, uh, none of that kind of stuff. So I said, what's happening now in the world is above the black people's pay grades. You need to step aside because yeah. what we're facing now is way beyond black and white. These folks are trying to take away our rights, human rights, forget yeah. race, but yeah. Yeah, I I agree with you. And if you, so here, here's my question to you. 
living in this country and knowing the history of America, like as a as you know, being being somebody who is you know uh, considered or classified as a, a ethnic minority in this country, like do you feel that it's wrong for you to as as somebody that's in those uh, categories? Do you feel that it's wrong for somebody like you to you know say that? you don't think America is such a bad place or, you know, that it's, it's okay to live in America. Cause you, you know, I hear a lot of people, black people that talk about how, you know, this is not our country. This is not for us. You know, we need to go back to, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so blah, 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 blah. They always talk about leaving, but they never say where they're going. <laughs> or, you know, they never, I never hear anybody and and I'll say I'll say names because I've said it on this podcast. I made this statement before, but when you get the Umar Johnsons and the Tariq Nasheeds that talk about, you know, the dominant society and um, you know, they never talk about where we're going. They nobody ever pinpoint pinpoints where black people will have it better in the world than they have it here in America. And so when you hear what, like, what's your reaction when you hear that type of talk? Um, I think it's foolish. And, and I'll tell you why. Um, first of all, why haven't Dr. Umar Johnson and Tariq Nasheed left? Yeah, right. They should be getting all their lectures from Africa. Mm -hmm. so, so to me, I would think if it was so beneficial for Black folks to be in Africa, then they should have left already and set up shop to welcome people over there to get people to come. Like, so, so the fact that they're still here reaping the benefits of America lets you know it's BS. Right. And on top of that, none of y'all, none of these black folks that even go to Africa, they don't go with and live off African currency. They mm -hmm. go living off American currency. So when you go to Africa, you go to an impoverished country, you're elevated because you're using American money. My right. thing is my, do, do it the real way. Go over there, <laughs> leave your American money over here, and go over there and really live with the people. But you won't do that because they only enjoy the benefits of Africa when they're in the upper class in Africa. That's a great point. <laughs> they don't want to be legit uh, right. immigrants, you right. know, <laughs> that that do what other immigrants do and come here with nothing. Right. And, you know, started from the bottom. Now we're here. You right. know. Uh, that is a that's a great point, man. I mean, I even it makes me think of uh, Louis Gates. He told the the story he told years ago about how uh, this group of uh, African a group of black people they left America and they went to Ghana, and he told the story of how they they were there for you know when they got there they were so glad to be free, you know in Ghana that they were never coming back to America, that they started, you know, they they met as a group on the beach and they threw their passports into the ocean <laughs> because they they felt like, you know, this is home. We never had to leave. And he said about three weeks went by and he said the, the locals started noticing at night these lights out on the beach at late at night. And when they finally went to investigate, it was all the black Americans that had moved here, moved there. They were on the beach at night with flashlights looking for their passports because they wanted to go home. And so <laughs> he told that story and I was like, man, you know, 
Oh, I wish I could have seen it. Oh, yeah. I wish I could have yeah. seen it. Oh, and my I goodness. I, I thought that was so funny, man, because I just think that, you know, it's, you know, people who want to leave, it's like being, it's like, you know, your perception, you know, being in the confines of, you know, whatever your reality is. And when you feel like you're breaking free from that and you step out into another reality, you start looking back like, wait, the way I had it actually wasn't so bad, you know, compared to this. And that's that's why I, I said uh, I don't pay attention to people who talk about how bad they want to leave this country or how bad, you know, how much they don't like living here because you never hear them leaving. You don't even hear celebrities who talk against this country. You don't hear them, you know, ball players. <laughs> right. you don't, and they these are people that have the means to do it. You know, right. you don't hear them saying that, oh, you know, I'm giving up my citizenship and I'm moving to this country. You know, they don't say it. And so I think, again, it's it, it speaks to what you what you call uh, appropriately the narrow view that we have as a community in this country. And so, you know, what do you think? You know, how do you feel we overcome that? Well, well, let me first say this. Um, to me, this is the best country in the world. And it's the best country in the world for one simple reason, <clears throat> opportunity. Yeah. Um, you can be here and there's really no cap on what you can do. Mm -hmm. I don't care what the media says or what these woke black people say. Literally, you can write your own ticket in America. And we've seen it happen a countless amounts of time. And, right. And so to me, you can't go to another country and write your own ticket. That's not how that works because, and you, you especially can't do it just going there with nothing. You could really do it if you can't went there with American money, like I said before, but you really mm -hmm. couldn't just go with nothing to a country and then rise to the top. Right. Immigrants actually come over here with nothing and literally rise to the top. So I just think that it's just, to me, we're blessed to be over here. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's a, there's, there's a song that says, I guess, God bless America. But to me, that's prophetic because yeah. I, I believe that this is our promised land. And, and, and I say that because even over here, as corrupt as we might say the government is, as bad as we say the country is, we still have the freedom to worship and praise God. That's we right. Still, we still have the freedom. We still have religious freedoms. And yeah. so... In other countries, they're they're getting slaughtered worshiping God. We're over here doing it freely. We can go on street corners. We can. So to me, I think it's a slap in the face to God for us to even be able to be over here. Who says that if we if we want to follow the out of Africa story and narrative, who said it wasn't a blessing? Mm. Because mm -hmm. the Bible because the Bible said count it all joy. And if we're honest, if we're really honest. Look at the countries they say black folks came from and tell me, do you really want to live there? Yeah, no, that's I, I, I agree with that. And I think here, here's the thing. What you just said, you know, America, I think that's why I talk to some of my pastor friends and and I hear them say. That it, the the religious freedoms that we enjoy in this country is part of the reason why we get spared from a lot of stuff in this country, 
because the remnant of people that are praying, you know, it's almost like the dynamic between, you know, uh, the back and forth exchange between uh, Abraham and um, and God about the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. You right. know, if they're 50 righteous, no, I won't. If you're 40, you know, he got down to 10. And if there were 10 people in, in Sodom and Gomorrah that were deemed righteous, that God would spare the city. And I think that a lot of the things that, you know, happen in America, you know, from a from a spiritual perspective, that's the 10 that God is willing to outspare, you know, America from a lot of stuff because I know that there are, you know, America sends more missionaries overseas than any other country. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the religious freedoms that we enjoy, like you mentioned, that we, you know, we are doing to spread the gospel. And at least, you know, we have uh, the option to, you know what I mean, to to be in church. We're not doing like underground churches. There's no, you know, house churches. I I, I listened to a pastor who had spent a lot of time in China and he was over there like planting secret churches and he was talking about how, you know, I would have a church set up in my apartment, but we had to make it look like people were coming for a certain thing because if the government find out, found out, they would ransack my apartment. People would get arrested. You know, I would get arrested. You mm -hmm. know, and he said that actually happened to me a few times, you know, where they suspected, you know, because you had to worry about not just the government, but the neighbors who didn't want to get in trouble would tell on you. And when I think about that, we don't we don't have those issues here in this country. And I think when people start looking at the loss of freedom that, you know, they can they don't they don't know that they can expect by going to another country, you know, look at Brittany Griner and, you know, she she wouldn't have for what she did in Russia here she would have walked that same day, even if she did get detained, right. it, it was different. And she, you know, the, you know, it's, it's just, we don't, we don't take that into account. And so we automatically think that it's a race, racial issue, or there is, you know, or even where you, when, when you make the focal point, you know, from a religious perspective, then you get, you know, those that come in and say, well, Christianity is the white man's religion you know, and we shouldn't be ascribing to it. And so I'm glad you brought that up because uh, it it is, it is almost prophetic, you know, that song, God bless America. So I think it says my, my land, my home or something, but the song, the first few lines are just like prophetic to even say, <clears throat> you know, that in a song and it's like America's song. And then even on the money, people say, in God we trust. Oh, they're saying that the money is God. I said, how do y'all know? Mm -hmm. I said, how do y'all know they didn't put that on there as a reminder that God is above the money to remind you every time you pick the money up to remember to put God first? Like, I like, how do y'all know people didn't do that? I said, y'all are taking the lowest hanging fruit to say what something is. And at the end of the day, what other country can you go to where they actually got God on the money? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So I just think it's a slap in the face to me because I know that if a person, if a black person had to leave America and go to any other country and they couldn't use American money, they wouldn't go. I agree with you. That's a great point. That's, 
<laughs> that really is a great point. And it it's just, we don't, we're so used to being reactionary and, and, you know, playing on, on defense and waiting for, you know, something to, you know, happen for us to get mad about that. Mm-hmm. We don't take the time to do any, re- we don't want to think, you know what I mean? Ignorance is bliss in our community. And it, it, it reminds me of uh, a joke that Chris Rock said in his standup. He talked about black people love to not know, you know, you ask them a certain question. I don't know that, you know, but they know, you know, <laughs> different, you know, all kind of, you know, crazy things. And, you know, in this day and age, it's not, it's no excuse to not know. It's no excuse right. to not have knowledge with, you know, when you got a supercomputer that you're carrying around in your pocket that can just pull up information, you know, uh, at the drop of a dime. And I just think that, I, I don't know, like, and, and I guess that's why I ask, like, I always want to know what people's thoughts are on, you know, what what it takes for us to kind of break the stronghold on our minds where, you know, this country is concerned and how wrapped up in the past we are and how tied to history we are and how it, you know, shapes almost every decision we make in this country. Like how, you know, what, what does it take? It it would take a, you you remember scare straight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it would take that, you know, you take everybody that's complaining about America let them go to one of them third world countries and live for about a month on mm-hmm. the without American money. Go live with the people. And I guarantee everybody will be begging to. I know somebody who was adamant about America being this race. Uh, she moved to Africa. I mean, she got there. She was so excited, so happy. She putting on a traditional garb. Every, I mean, she doing it all. Then the videos started changing. <laughs> she started saying, man, these people are more lost than the black folks in America. Then, next thing you know, she was cussing them out. Oh, Lord. And then guess what happened? She back here in America. She came back home. Came back home. Because, again, what, what they're selling people is the idea that the grass is greener on the other side. But mm-hmm. you and I know the grass is only greener if you water it, if you mm-hmm. take care of it. it yep. it's gonna, so it's going to require something of you for the grass to be green on the other side. So you going to Africa doesn't really change because you're going. It'd be different if you went to Africa and you changed, but you're going to be the same person. So you're going to have the same outlooks on life, the same limited view, the same hangups, the same. Um, yep. and if, like you, you're going to be the same person just in a new environment. The environment's not going to make life better for you. That's why most people that go over there, they end up coming back. Yep. Yep. They come back and and they'll say when they come back so they don't look silly, they'll say, I just went to get the experience. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they can so they can save face and they come back, you know, so they don't, you know, they they don't look silly. They say, Well, I just went to get the experience and it was good. And, you know, but you know. Any anyway, so with that, I I want to I want to talk real quick about this clip that surfaces every year at this time of year. It comes up every year. It's an old clip and it got popular. I want to say like three, maybe three or four years ago, and you could tell it's an old clip because 
this brother looks young. And it's the clip of Morgan Freeman. Oh, yeah. Talking about how he thinks Black History Month is ridiculous. Yes. And when that clip gets passed around every February, you can see people getting, like, Black people getting triggered and getting upset. And they want to, you know, you know, well, Morgan Freeman, he ain't one of us anyway. You know, or that, <laughs> that, type, that type of, they try to Bill Cosby him. You know, when Bill Cosby tell people to pull their pants up and they tried to get on him, like, you know, what, what is your, what's your position on that? I believe that Black History Month is, is, is propaganda. I believe it's psychological warfare on the Black community. And I say that because Black history is already a conditional statement. History mm -hmm. is history. So once you start, you never hear people say, do they say Asian history? Right. Do they nope. say Indian history? They just say history. They may even say history of ancient, uh, the history of the ancient Americas, mm -hmm. history of ancient Chinese dynasties, but they don't say yellow history. No. They don't say red history. When you say black history, in my opinion, that is propaganda and programming, because what are you reminding the people of? You're not reminding the people of greatness. You're reminding the people of how, quote unquote, bad they were treated, mm -hmm. how much yeah. they had to overcome, how they were slaves. Much of black history is slavery. Yeah, exactly. It's slavery with sprinkled with a little bit of civil rights, you know. But at the end of the day, Morgan Freeman, the guy was like, well, how do we, you know, get rid of racism? He said, stop talking about it. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day. Why do we even need what think about this? What has Black History done history month done for us? Tell me. Nothing. What's been the what's been the benefit of an entire month dedicated to the history of quote unquote black people in America? What has been the benefit of it? Nothing. And I'm gonna tell you something. If you pay attention to the month of February, look at all the events that happened right. in February. Right. You start off the month with the Super Bowl weekend. The following weekend is the Grammys. The weekend after that is NBA All-Star weekend. Right. You got Valentine's Day in between that. So it's all this stuff that are sprinkled in to kind of shift people's focus away from, you know, Black History Month. And on the other side of that, when Carter G. Woodson started Black History Week, it was what what he wanted to focus on was excellence in our community. That's what he wanted other people to other ethnic groups. He wanted to show like, hey, we we got a good thing going on over here, too. You know, it was excellence in education in you know, um, agriculture, all of these, you know, things that they were highlighting. But now you fast forward and. None of that black excellence gets pushed to the forefront. It's all foolishness now where, <laughs> you know, singing, dancing, sporting, twerking, you know, entertaining. And as Dr. Claude Anderson says, just producing sweat, you know. So I think that it's like you said, and it's, it's I, I had this conversation, you know, my son is seven years old and we were coming home from school and I asked him you know, what, how his school day was. And he said, well, we learned about Black History Month. And 
I told him, I said, I said, well, you know what? He told me what he thought and, you know, this and a third. And I said, I said, well, you know what? I'm going to tell you. I said, I don't think Black History Month is is so great. And he just stopped in his tracks. He dropped his jaw. He couldn't believe I said it. And I said, <laughs> I said, well, son, look at it this way. I said, Black History is American history. And I said, if, I said, if, I said, you know, I think that you're a great kid, right? And he said, yeah. I said, how would you feel if I only spent one month out of the year telling you how great I think you are? But the rest of the year, I didn't really say anything about you. And he stopped and paused and he looked at me and, and I said, you wouldn't think that was so great, would you? And he said, no, I wouldn't like that. And I said, so we need to talk about black history all year long. We need to talk about the stuff, the achievements that we've made in this country all year, not just in one month. And when I put it, I saw the light bulb go off in his head and he was like, yeah, you're right. You know, it's not, maybe it's not so great, but to what you're saying is I, I heard somebody say, and this is in line with what you're saying. Every time the word black is attached to something at the front of it, it automatically means that there's some negative slant to it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And that speaks to what you just said about how like where the majority of black history is is wrapped up in slavery and the darkest, ugliest parts of what happened to us here. So, you know, what Booker T. Washington, you know, what what his achievements and Carver, you know, uh, all of that stuff, none of that stuff gets it's like an afterthought because, you know, we want to talk about, you know, what happened on Black Wall Street. We want to talk about, you know, uh the uh you know rosewood and all the stuff and you know the black bottoms in detroit and what happened in central park the ugliest parts of our history are what get talked about and man you even have people now that will take a i think it's called a slavery tour where you can sign up and be on a plantation route and take a mm. bus trip and you pay this certain amount i'm like why do we have to relive the worst why parts of it that is insane. Why would I even want to do that? That's, but but even I mean when I I went to Africa, and I you know I saw the slave port, mm. and that you know I went to the slave castle and all this, but the guy said two things that really stuck out to me. <clears throat> the first thing he said was he said if the slaves acted up, they would put them in this room, and then just let them die. Wow like wouldn't feed him no water, no nothing. And he said it would take like seven days for him to die. Cause he said they no food, no water. They just organ shut down and die. He mm-hmm. said, there's like, it like a room they would put the unruly slaves in. Then he showed us next to the castle a little ways off was like this big red mansion. And he said, all of the children that were biracial, they got treated like the regular European or Dutch or English or whatever kids. So he said, during that time period, if you were biracial, you shared the same privileges as, you, as if you were white completely. Wow. And, and I thought that was interesting because they don't tell you that part of slavery. They mm-hmm. tell you that light skin, darks in the house, in the field. But over there, the guy specifically said that if you were biracial, you got you got to go to school, you got to live in the mansion, you even got to go to Europe. Like it was, it was crazy. So I, I say all that to say that when I was, you know, walked that little passage and they said, this is the last thing the slaves saw before they got on the ship. And I, and I walked through it. I just thought to myself, I said, this is dumb. 
and, and, and I thought it was dumb because I was like, why are who I, I, I thought it was I was like, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, like I get the history, but why am I walking the path of a slave as if I'm going I'm not going to feel like a slave. Like I'm not going to internalize what a slave went through. And even if I did internalize it, how am I going to then take that feeling and translate that into my life? Right. How, how does that how does that play out? Like, like what does that want to make me want to do? Do better, work harder. I mean, what am I to me again? It's it's really just propaganda and it's just psychological warfare. Because in the whole slavery narrative, in the whole Black History Month, there's one thing that's missing, and it's it's God. Yeah. And I know for a fact that most of black history prior to the last 30 years was very God-centered. Yeah. You you know, everybody met at the church. Mm-hmm. Everybody went to church. You know, it's even terrible. They don't even. They only show us very impop when they show us images and videos of black folks back then. They only show us the poorest black people. They don't even show mm-hmm. us like they show us very impoverished. They don't even venture to just show us poor, lower middle class. Middle. Mm-hmm. They just show us one segment of the population. And I was like. It's programming inside. I could do the same thing with white people. Yeah. I can go to these rural parts of America right now and just film. You know, they had a commercial that was playing in Europe for folks to send money to the poor white folks in America. (laughs) They got literal commercials playing in Europe for the Europeans donating money to the poor white people over here in America. And And I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. That's wild. But it just lets you know how you can skew any kind of message. Like you can make anybody look impoverished and poor and desolate. So I agree with you. Like, why are we, why are we going on slave tour? Like, what is the whole purpose? It's just crazy. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand that. And, and since we're talking about slavery, I want to, I want you to, I want you to speak on something that you put, you put in one of your, one of your clips on, on YouTube. We were talking about if we're, if we're going to highlight, I think you said something to the, to the, to the degree of if we're going to align ourselves with slavery, then we need to align ourselves with the mentality that slaves had back then in terms of how they stayed married. They were, they went to church, you know, you know what, what point I'm talking about. Can you? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So basically what I was saying is they tell you that all the trauma from slavery got passed down. And my argument is, well, wouldn't the good stuff get passed down too? Like, why is mm-hmm. only one aspect of slavery passing down? That lets me know it's BS, because to me, they both would pass down. Mm-hmm. So if 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 slavery was truly, and I argue with my cousin about this, and my cousin is he's woke, and they my few mm-hmm. of my cousins, they're woke. And I said, slavery did not destroy the black family. I said, I said, think about it. Black people in America got married the most up until the 1960s. Mm-hmm. I said, so how in the world could slavery have messed up? I said, it's not true. I said, what messed up the, the family was the black folks adopting these policies that were implemented by the Democrats. I said, that was the problem. But anyway, my thing is, during slavery, we got married at almost 100%. Mm-hmm. We, we risked our lives to learn how to read. Mm-hmm. We risked our lives to revolt for freedom. We risked our lives to run away. Yep. 
So, and we also were working, let them tell it, 20 hours a day for free. Mm-hmm. So not only did we have a thirst for freedom and knowledge, we also had an impeccable work ethic. Yeah. So to me, that stuff should have passed down through slavery. Mm-hmm. There's no way that I'm not, I'm not talking about the Hispanics, but there's no way the Hispanics should be able to come over here and just take over the the the, the, the service industry and the manual mm-hmm. labor jobs. Like it's just yeah. no way. Like it, it's it's impossible. If y'all telling me y'all were slaves, no way. Like it's no way that's possible. Yeah. But it's possible because when they come over here, their focus isn't white people or racism. Their focus is a better life. Now yeah. let me let me play devil's advocate for a second because because uh, I want to I, I I know that somebody may be listening to this and they may, may have heard what you just said and they may they may where where you're talking about the 20 hour work work day that gave us an impeccable work ethic mm-hmm. so you know how do you respond to somebody saying well that was forced labor and okay. we didn't have a choice but to do the work okay so my question is what did we do after slavery? We went to work. <laughs> same type of work? Same, yeah. So, That's, when we, so when we were free, we did the same work. Yep. My so, dad My dad tells me, he tells me stories of, you know, my grandfather, uh, who I, you know, I knew well growing up. And he tells me stories of, you know, he said, yeah, growing up, you know, uh, your grandfather, he worked two jobs. He would work his eight hours at the plant in the morning. He would come home. We had dinner at six o'clock every day. And then he would go do his eight hours. He was a, he was a cab driver in the evenings. And he said, that was our job all my life. I mean, that was how, how it was my, my entire life growing up. He said, because my, my grandfather, he grew up extremely poor. And, you know, he went to the military you know, he got out of the military. He met my grandmother. They got married, you know, um, and he had money saved to where he, you know, paid, he paid the, you know, the down payment to have the house they grew up in built mm. in in Michigan. And <clears throat> he said, my, my father worked, my grandfather worked because he wanted a certain life, you know, for, for my dad and my aunt. And you know, he tells me that, yeah, man, you know, your grandfather Friday night was, you know, always a special dinner. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, you know, we would eat steak on Friday night growing up. We would have, he would bring home crab legs, you know, on Friday nights. And this is, you know, this is back in the sixties, you know, right. uh, you know, the fifties and sixties. And so my, I told my dad, I said, so you're telling me that you guys were basically upper middle class black because of the work ethic that, you know, my grandfather had. And he said, yeah. And that's what passed to him. And, you know, subsequently to me, because we saw our dads, you know, putting the work in. And so I agree with you. And that's why I wanted you to bring that point up about, you know, if, if the traumatic experience that was slavery and all we took away from it was the bad parts of it. You know, it can't, it's, it's gotta be false because, you know, some of the stuff that, you know, the creativity that came out of it, 
you know, the work ethic that we had, the family values that we had, you know, that stuff, it translated and they don't want us to know that it, that it did. Uh, and, and because the norm is to just kind of focus on the negative, you know, because we all have, you know, pain in common, you know what I mean? Everybody might not have been able to get the upper middle class opportunity in the black community, but we all had the pain of it, you know, because, you know, you could hear somebody say, well, you know what, you might have all this stuff, but in the eyes of white people, you still a nigga, you know, or you still this or you still that, you know, so we, at least we got that in common. But I think that that was a great point that, that you made up that I, I definitely wanted you, you know, it just, it came to the, to the, to the forefront of my mind when you mentioned slavery and we were talking about, you know, just this whole dynamic of how it's affected us mentally and the conditioning that, you know, I don't see how we overcome. I just, I don't see us breaking free from that conditioning. And and, and it's funny because most all black people today have a connection to slavery from Hollywood. Yep. They don't have a connection from to slavery from experience. It's all through Hollywood and media. Mm-hmm. And so you can almost, just think about it, for the most part, we don't know how slaves lived on a plantation. We've never seen it. Right. But Hollywood has shown us, mm-hmm. some of the history books have shown us, but again, the same story that you tell of your grandfather going to the military and meeting his, your grandmother, is the same thing my grandfather did. He went mm-hmm. to the military, mm-hmm. Air Force, got out and met my grandmother. You know, they met in California, you know, stayed just, just the same type of story. Yeah. My grandfather worked in the working for the railroad, mm-hmm. you know, had houses, bought property. All, so all I'm saying is this, when I was growing up, I'm from Sacramento, California, all the old people that I knew growing up, they all owned their house mm-hmm. and they owned either some land or other property. All of the older, like to, to growing up, we thought it was yeah. normal for older black people to own multiple houses and have land. Like we thought it was normal. We never, but again, they'll say that's an anomaly. I'm like, it's not an anomaly because I saw it. It was common where I'm from. Right. Now, the next generation, not so much. Yeah. Generation after that, Pretty much not at all. Mm, not at all. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, but growing up, I did see all the older black people own at own their home and some other piece of property. Um even think about things like just going fishing. Like yeah. just like just enjoying life. Like I, I don't I don't remember all this racial tension when I was growing up. I just don't. My no. grandparents never talked about slavery. Mm-mm. They never talked like I never heard no kind of bad stories. I mean, I just, I don't know, man. I had, I had a great childhood, so I can't even, I don't relate to all this, you know, yeah. America's been oppressing that story. I don't, I'm sorry. I, don't. We, I And listen, man, we are, this is like the, the, the similarities are just like really they're there. And I'm going to tell you the same. I don't, I didn't have that. I, the only connection that I can make to a bad time for black people in America, to my family. And this is going to sound crazy, but I remember growing up, you know, uh, my dad, 
would tell me, he said, yeah, do you know how we got our first color TV when I was a kid? And I said, how? He said, we got it during the 67 riots in Detroit. <laughs> and I said, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so it was a, it was a come up, you know, for them, you know, so, but that's like, I've never, I've never heard, I never heard my grandfather complain about white people. I never heard my dad do it. And, you know, my father was an entrepreneur, you know, growing up when I was a kid, you know, all my life, my dad, you know, he worked for the plant in, in Michigan uh, for a long time, but then he quit to start his own business. And, you know, as a kid, man, that's all I knew is my dad was an entrepreneur. He worked and he created a good life for us, you know, mm -hmm. for me and my sisters. And, and so when I look around at, you know, the way some of us complain about things that are happening, it's hard for me to relate to it because it's not my testimony. And I tell them like, you know what? I, I can't relate, but I won't undermine how you feel if that was your experience, because, you know, for me to say that stuff doesn't happen, I'm not going to be ignorant in that regard, because I know that there are things out there that, that happen, you know, where you have some ignorant people that will treat other people, you know, really. And to be honest, from a, from a, spiritual perspective i think all re racism is rooted in you know what jesus talked about being a respecter of persons right and and so i think you know having that in mind i know that you know it's it's really that the hate that people are trying to to spew it's coming from a spiritual place because they don't know they're being used by you know by the enemy to yes. to be hateful and so it's hard. It's just really hard for me to digest like, oh, you did that to me because I was black. You did that to me because, you know, that's just like white people to do stuff like that. I don't I don't live life looking through that lens. And my family and I were on vacation. We go to uh, we take our yearly family trip. We go to Myrtle Beach every summer. Okay. And two years ago, I said to my wife, I said, you know what? We were in Myrtle Beach and we do. We do the um the oceanfront, you know, condos um when whenever we go. And you go to these condos and there are these high rises on the beach, and you go down to the pool area, you go down to the beach, and it's usually not a lot of us that are there. And the only reason why I take note of that, a couple of years ago, we were down at the pool deck. <clears throat> And everywhere we went, man, we were out on the pool. We got in the water. You know, my kids got in the water. And it was just like white people were just coming up to us, making conversation, just in passing, just being friendly, making conversation. And it wasn't, you know, like they were going out of their way. It was just natural. Like you you stand next to somebody and they talk about something and a conversation sparks. And finally, I told my wife, I said, you know who's not saying anything to us? I said, the black people that are in the in the in the condo or they are staying here at the resort you know they look at us and they keep walking and i said you know what that tells me and she said what i said white people are not checking for us the way we think they are and i said we mm. focus so much on you know well they doing this to us because we white you know because they white and we black and it's this and it's that i i think i think for the most part white people by and large are too busy living 
to think about what somebody else is doing because they're black. Now, if it's, you know, certain scenarios, yes, you know, it, it probably crosses the mind. Mm-hmm. But I, I would venture to say nine out of 10, maybe eight out of 10 scenarios. It doesn't, it's, it's, it's on our minds, but not theirs. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I don't, I, I just can't like, that's why I, it's really, I kind of mentally check out when people start the whole black people versus white people conversation and the white boogeyman around the corner, that's trying to stop us from doing everything. I mean, if you think about it, white people will um, walk across a tight a tight rope across the Grand Canyon, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a white thing to do, walk across the Grand Canyon on a tight rope. Do you honestly think that the person walking across the Grand Canyon on the tight rope is thinking about you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm saying for all the adventurous things that white people do, and everybody would agree they probably some of the most adventurous people on earth. Mm-hmm. They couldn't be thinking about you. Right. They're not climbing Mount Everest thinking about you. They're not rock climbing with no ropes thinking about you. They're not um, surfing thinking about you. They're like you said, they're living life, which mm-hmm. is what you should be doing. Right. I just think it's kind of narcissist to think that a white person has done work all day man and woman, done worked all day. They come home, they gotta get the children ready, they gotta fix, they gotta cook dinner, get the children, do their homework, they gotta do all this stuff. And in the midst of all of that, they thinking about you. <laughs> I just think it's just narcissism. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. And listen, I'm not saying that there aren't people that do it. But what I will say is this, in my opinion, the white people that concern themselves with what black folks are doing are white liberals. Yes. Like white liberals pay attention and see it as their duty to quote unquote help black people out of despair. So if anybody, you know, like for example, I tell people those Karens y'all see, them Karens ain't conservative white women. Mm-mm. Those are liberal white women being nosy, yeah. not minding their business. I said conservative white women ain't even thinking about y'all. A liberal white woman will see y'all walk past the door a few times and say, you know what, let me go see what they're doing. Yep. Yep. And she'll get up and ask a thousand questions to see what's going on. That white savior complex kicks in because they want right. to know, what, you know what, what can they do to help. And, what can we do to help? And it's crazy. I, I read this book uh, the author's his name is Jason Ridley. He wrote a book called Please Stop Helping Us. And it's all about how, you know, he basically breaks down from the statistics, you know, how, you know, blacks and have measured up in society over the years. And he, you know, he goes through education, through labor, you know, uh family. He he, you know, every chapter is about something where he talks about how it wasn't until you know, white liberals came in to start helping that we got in this condition, you know, that we are where this Mm. is concerned. Mm. And just to, you know, to listen, to listen to it, it was just kind of like, you know, you watch and you look around and I feel like if people could just kind of get this message and really digest it 
you know, I think that we would start to see, you know, that some of the issues that we concern ourselves with, you know, they're issues that are fair to us and they're not, you know, issues that, you know, we, we come up with on our own. It's like somebody tells us, don't you think that you should feel bad about this? Like, I think this is, you know, this is wrong and, you know, so on and so forth. It's like, you know, I didn't think of it that way. Yeah, I do, I do think that that's bad. It's like they fed this idea to us and now, you know, you have uh, these black women who feel like, yeah, you don't what you don't need a, a man to help you do this. Because if you if 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 you just had these rights, you know, so on and so on and so forth. And it's these ideas that are fed to us that we we kind of take on like, well, you know what, because of slavery, we did, we do all this stuff. I am old this, you know, I want these, this is reparations, you know. And so I I just you know, we just, we fall for so much, man, and the naivete, and it's like, if it's not, you know, we compound it on either side. You got white liberals that want to help us, but then you got race hustlers on the other side that want to, you know, kind of pit us against each other. So it's like, okay, when I see them going, it's like a game, you know, who can keep them in the middle, you know? Right. If I see them going too far this way, then here come, you know, the white liberals to put them back in another perspective. But then if they go back the other way, here come the race hustlers to say, oh, yeah, no, you know, you need their help or, you know, this is they would they did us wrong. So, you know, by them giving us government assistance, they they owe us. This is help. You know, so I don't again, man, I just feel like these these are the type of conversations. And I know that there are people listening to this that will hear this podcast and they will cringe and be triggered and they will be in their feelings because these concepts that we're talking about, they are just outright unpopular and they don't, you know, it's just, it's just hard. So I think that's the the biggest challenge is just trying to get this type of information out. Yeah. And I, and I also think that, and I, and I say this, they're going to get on TV and say there's no more racism. Mm -hmm. And because where the world is moving, they can't, you can't, people can't be divided on color anymore. It's all about gender identity. It's all about sexuality. It's not about race anymore. So they're going to want everybody to be the same or you be a trans something. Yep. So, with, so with that being said, I, I saw a clip of AOC, she was asked about reparations, and then she's, you know, she's just rambling on. Not, mm -hmm. not talk, but then she says, I mean, what does it mean to be Black? I mean, who's actually Black? I mean, I mean, think about it, like, and, <laughs> and there's a reason why she's saying that. She's, basically what she's saying is, we can't even, because then she was like, what about somebody that's biracial? And what she's basically saying is, this race stuff is too confusing. Mm -hmm. So what we got to do is we got to all come under the same umbrella. We got to all be the same. And, and to me, it's what they're doing is they're trying to get people to be instead of race. Now it's being a victim. Yeah. If you're a victim, you can be a victim because you're you're overweight. You can be a victim yeah. because you're uh, maybe handicapped victim because maybe you're trans or LGBT. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. now. I'm, I'm bringing everybody together or victim because of color of your skin. So now you see them trying to lump everybody into 
a group and she even listed what she was. She said she was a descendant. Listen to me. <laughs> AOC said she was a descendant. I got the video. Oh, Lord. Of an African Moor, <laughs> a slave, Jewish, Span, like she named all the races, all of them. She named everything. She's descended from all of them. She called herself a mutt. <laughs> Basically, she's a mutt. Yeah, yeah. Basically, she's a mutt. And so because she's a mutt, now she can speak for all the races. Wow. Now she can be the spokesperson. But I just think it's funny that we talk about what it means to be black. We've had Joe Biden say, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. And then mm-hmm. we got AOC even saying, well, what does it even mean to be black? Who's actually black? Like, yeah. so I'm just telling people that they're going to get rid of this race thing. And so my question for black people is, what are you all going to do when you being black won't matter anymore? Yep. It's, listen, they'll be, they'll be confused. And, and you, and I want you, that's a good point for me to, to segue into something else that we, we, we touched on in our last conversation and you brought up about how, you know, the trans movement has completely overtaken civil rights, the civil mm-hmm. rights movement and the LGBTQ, the, you know, that whole agenda has basically co-opted the civil rights movement. And it's no longer, you know, something that black people is not the card that we can just hold and say like, well, this was our thing. It's like, not anymore. You talked a lot about that. Yeah. I, because I see the writing on the wall. Um, Joe Biden said, you know, he, he put a tweet out. He said, make no mistake about it, that trans rights are the new civil rights. Mm-hmm. And if you notice all the, even, even in the commercials, in 2020, there was a commercial and it would start out as like a Black Lives Matter commercial, but they were adding 10 seconds each time they were sold. And in the end of all those commercials, it would end with trans. Yep. You know, and so, and I told Black people, I said, they're going to take over black, black culture. I said, because if you think about it, they're actually the gatekeepers to get something because they're getting everything they want. They're yep. getting, in Palm Springs, the trans are getting 900 a month. And Frisco, wow. they get six hundred. Frisco, they get six hundred a month just for being trans. Just for being trans, yeah. And so, and black people, <clears throat> the irony of this is, the trans community they're they're about to. I think I know Illinois, one state that made it mandatory to teach LGBTQ history. So what I'm saying is, they're getting stuff done without marching, without mm-hmm. protesting, without getting any like like they just. They get who's the one guy? He's a social media star, and he got to sit down with the president. Oh, um, the 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 one trans dude. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, he got to sit down with the president just from being on social media. I'm like, mm-hmm. do y'all understand what's going? So, I don't think that black people realized what the past seventy years has done to them. Mm-hmm. Once once black folks just focused on a small portion of the big picture, which is white people and, and voting Democrat, everything else was happening all around them. And now you look up and you got all these progressive Democrats that are, that are going to pay the way for the future. They're not talking about race. No. They're not, no. they're not concerned. They're talking about everything but 
but you, actually. LGBTQ, trans, immigrants, everything but you, though. They're not talking about you. And so uh, climate change. Um, So I just say all that to say that I don't know what Black folks are going to do when it's not about race anymore. I don't know, and I don't know what they're going to do when they when they realize what the trans community has that they don't. Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of fallout will it be? Because by that time, they're going to dominate the media. Yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying dominate politics. So why? So what leverage will black folks have to say this is unfair? Yeah, that that time I had passed. You know what yeah. I mean, and we didn't. We didn't capitalize on it. We started, we started to, you know what I mean? We saw, you know, in the sixties, you know, the sit-ins, the bus boycotts, you know, stuff like that. But we, we're not, we're not built for that now. You know what I mean? The, uh, yeah. You know, because we had too much to lose. It's all about self-preservation, you know, right now. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I think you're right, man. This whole, focus on the trans movement that's happening in this country. It's just like they, you know, they're going to start forcing it down. They they start by, you know, they force it, they force it on you. They keep showing it on TV. They show it, you know, everywhere you look, there's some, you know, some, something that's linked to that movement. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you can't escape it. And we don't, you know, we don't have the wherewithal because we, you know, to, to realize what's happening because we're too busy trying to focus on, you know, when the next welfare check is coming or when the next, you know, uh, what's the next challenge on TikTok? You know, what's mm-hmm. what, you know, we focus on, we focus on foolishness. We focus on foolishness and, you know, we don't have any, there's no, our, you know, the biblical compass is broken. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, we, we've moved away from, you know, uh, you know, just the ideas about church. I remember, you know, my uncle tells me about how, like, back in the day, he said, he he calls what, he he labels them what you had. You had, he said, at least back in the day, we had respectable sinners. And and what he, what the example he gave is, he said, it mm-hmm. used to be back in the day that if somebody was walking or riding past the church on a Sunday and they, you know, secular music was loud, they would turn it down right. until they passed by the church. Right. And then they would turn it back up. You know, there was respect in the community. Uh, but that mindset is is completely gone now. I mean, it's like, you know, we we transition now to where you have pastors now that, you know, not only do they not mind you keeping your music up, but they are inviting it into the sanctuary <laughs> and saying, let's, you know, let's have this, you know, uh, this image of this is if this is what's popular, if this is what's in the streets, and this is what you know people like, then mm-hmm. this is what we have to, this is what we have to do, you know, to get people to come in, and you know, because we see so much of how our society is driven by, you know, the social part, you know, of of everything. These pastors, they start acquiescing to it and say, well, you know what, if this is what's getting people. You know, when Jesus isn't enough, this is what we got to go with, mm-hmm. you know, and we're losing on all sides because. Families broken, you know, our spiritual lives are in shambles, 
you know, we're basically just going to church out of form or fashion, you know, at this point. There's real, yeah. there's no real deliverance happening. You know, there's no, there's no life changing, you know, edification that's happening. Right. You know, so I don't, you know, it's, you know, we, I think it's almost like, <laughs> it's almost like we need like a team of superheroes that are just like tasked with battling. All right, you, you, your fight is, you know, to kind of break down the foolishness in church. All right, this one, you, you fight against what's happening in the family. Right. This right here, we're going to come up with a, you know, show everybody what it means to have a good work ethic, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then everybody just break off and go do your thing. But we don't have that. You know, we don't have leaders that we can look to like that anymore in our, in our community. Well, I think the one thing you touched on that was huge is um, the spiritual aspect and, and the God aspect and, and the Christ, <clears throat> the Christ being the example aspect. I think, I think the problem is, is that once you adopt a worldly philosophy on how to solve problems, you're going to just create more problems. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember the old fool used to say, you know, you know, count it all joy. You know, where if you went through something bad or something bad happened to you, you counted it all joy because it all ended up being for the glory of God anyway. Right. And so I just think that that kind of mentality is what propels any person to the next level and keeps and keeps somebody sustained throughout life is having mm -hmm. an attitude, you know, to say that I'm not going to be down because today is bad. You know, I'm going to count it all joy. And I just think that what you hit the nail on the head, we don't, we lost the spiritual maturity, which means we lost the wisdom. Just mm -hmm. think about it. Think about how wise our grandparents were talking, like, you know, just, just speaking in regular conversation, like just, mm -hmm. like we don't even have that kind of wisdom anymore floating around. Like we don't, we, it, it's almost like you got this, you got a whole generation freestyling on yeah. how to, how to exist as a nation, you know, and it's, and it's just, it's, it's terrible. And it's even more sad because now for black people, they've tied these new religions and these new philosophies to blackness. Mm -hmm. So now they make it more cool to do something that's not what you would call quote unquote biblical or Christian. Um, you know, doing this new stuff with the opening your third eye and <laughs> let me say about it. Hold on, I got one comment on the third eye. <clears throat> Just imagine if your third eye, you say your pineal gland was really mm -hmm. really decalcified. Right. Do you know what you would see? <laughs> you would go crazy. Right. You you would be able to see what nobody else could see. You would literally go insane. Right. So all that third eye talk is foolish because if your third eye was over, you'd want to close immediately. Yep. But yep. anyway, but all these religions have made it appealing to, to not get to the word. And so mm -hmm. now you got black, especially black women, man. I talk to black women, black women be doing all, when I tell you all kind of, witchcraft yes and yes I'm like where did y'all get this stuff from like who was teaching y'all like it's so many one girl said i prayed to god for a man and god didn't do it he was taking too long so i asked satan 
Jesus. And, and I'm just like, my, but listen to me. These women engage in all kinds of crystals. I'm like, where, who? I know y'all wasn't raised like, I know y'all was not raised like this, but these new religions and stuff, they tie it to your ancestors did this. Yes. This came from Africa. This is the ain't from ancient Kemet. And so they almost feel like it's a duty to partake in literal witchcraft and sorcery. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's, it's crazy because the popularity of, of that now is like, you have, you know, these young girls and I see it a lot too. And they'll make the distinction. Oh, I'm into witchcraft, but I'm into white magic, not black magic. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm like, wait, hold on, hold on a second. Like, what are, what are we talking about? Like, you know, and, and they they really try to make that distinction. Like, you good, know, I do the good magic. I do yeah, the, the good magic. magic. I do the good magic, and you know, you know where witchcraft is. You know, you know people don't understand that it's just it's it's manipulation. Right. You know what I mean? And it's it's you know power, will, and control, and you know trying to force somebody's will and bend it to your own. That's you know that's a form of witchcraft. Yeah, And to see these people, you know, that, you know, well, I burn sage and, you know, this, that, and the third and all of this stuff and, you know, get, get your, um, get your potions. And man, I, I've seen these, I've seen, you know, posts on Instagram, you know, where girls will get on and they'll give like, here, if you want your man to never cheat on you, here's the potion. This is the spell that I cast on my boyfriend. Crazy. You know, know, it's. It's wild, man. It's wild to listen to. And I'm like, you know, it's it's even there's even a lot of girls that I know that grew up in church that have a solid, deep biblical foundation, a solid one where I know their moms and dads are looking at them like, how did we fail? Like, how did we because, you know, for them to go off and it's like, oh, you know, uh, Hit my DM if you want to set up a tarot card reading session. Oh, you know, yeah. so on so that that type of stuff. And I'm just like, you know, people don't realize that you're that that you're tapping into like, you know, you know, the Bible says, you know, the gifts of the spirit are, are without repentance. And so just from what, what that says to me is like these people who deal in tarot card reading and you know, that stuff, those <laughs> are those are just perverted prophetic gifts. Right. And, and people don't realize that, you know, they are tapping into something, you know, they are, they are tapping into, you know, something in the spiritual realm. It's just not what they think they're tapping into. Right. And so they don't realize that they're opening themselves up to other spirits and other demonic attachments that come along with that, that will, you know, continuously, steer them in the wrong direction. And my spiritual father told me, you know, what happens with, you know, psychics and, you know, psychics deal in, you know, they traffic in demonic information and, uh, you know, the, the wisdom, wisdom of the flesh, you know, and carnal, carnal wisdom. And so what he said, think of it this way. If you go and see a psychic and you get a reading, he said, well, the devil that talks to them that sits on their shoulder is communicating with the, with the demon spirit that's attached to you 
right and they communicate to each other and so you know there is some communication happening where you know that that spirit will say well she she lost this she had this and so on and so forth and he's whispering in the psychic's ear and she's feeding that inform that information back to you and it's like how did you know that she knew all about me she knew all of this and the third it's like well the 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 demon that's assigned to you is talking to you know the demon that she's in alignment working with mm -hmm. and I'm going to just go ahead and say this as a sidebar. We're out on a topic right now that this is the first time I've ever broached this type of stuff on a podcast. So anybody that's listening, this is this is altogether diametrically different from some of the things that I would like to talk about that I have not had a, an opportunity to. So I'm glad that we took this, we went down this rabbit trail because it all makes sense it all aligns because until we return to a biblical worldview in this nation and as a society we're going to continue to see this you know the enemy continuing to gain ground and 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 have these victories over us that you know we just willingly give up because we don't realize the power that we have that's rooted in you know uh our relationship with Christ and so man you know, we have these facsimiles of these religions and these sects and cults and groups that branch off. And, you know, to me, it's it's just, you know, it's just a bunch of philosophy because, in my opinion, here is the separate. The one thing that separates Christianity from every other religion is the power. Because without the power, Christianity is just another philosophy. Right. You know what I mean? And people don't realize that. And that's why I don't I don't pay attention to these groups that break off and they want to, you know, bring on these customs that they think are tradition, you know, that we, you know, this old stuff that we used to do. And we need to go back to this and the chosen people, this and the chosen. We need to no, no, there's no power in that. So I don't pay attention to it. You're no. just another philosophy. It, it, it's funny that. And I always talk about, you know, I get on the, and again, the the, the Hebrew Israelite sect is still a tie into blackness. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. so, so most of the stuff that we see all are rooted in black as a religion. Yes. Even Black Lives Matter is a mm -hmm. religion. If you think yep. about it, because you have three quote unquote women that you would see as like the, um, Trinity. Yep. And then mm -hmm. you have different, I guess, Black Lives Matter churches or whatever you want to call them mm -hmm. all across the world. Yeah. And, and they have a philosophy, they have a doctrine, they have a, you know, so they, they paint streets, they paint signs, they all over the wall. It, it's really a religion mm -hmm. and, and it's really based in idol worship. And it's yes. really based in, you know, look, look at me. I'm black, this, that, and the third, and all this stuff. Um, but but even the Hebrew Israelites, get back on them, <clears throat> all of their points, and I ask this question all the time, would you be a part of a religion if you weren't the chosen people? Like, if, like, like would you still follow this religion if the one thing that changed that you weren't the chosen people? Mm -hmm. Would you still love God? Would you still do, uh, would, would, would all this stuff even matter? I don't think it would. I think that you're only really bent on this religion because you're the one that comes out on top. Right. 
There, yeah. There's no there's no service involved. There's no humility mm-hmm. involved. There's no being born again involved. There's no none of that stuff's involved. You're on top. White people are bad, and then one day we're going to get revenge. <laughs> that that that's the that's the foundation of. I, I've heard him even say, "Man, we're going to be walking around in their blood." I'm like, "Are y'all?" Crazy? Oh said, my god! I said, "Why <laughs> people want to do that?" Right. I said, "Why would you?" I said, "I don't want to walk around all you. You crazy." We go too far, man. We, well, we hey, just yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, listen, man. Listen, man. It, but it all stems back to where we've made blacker religion. Yeah. I listened to this one guy's interview, and he was like, "I never even thought about it, that I was black." He said, "I only thought about it when they started getting on TV talking about black this and black that." He said, "I thought mm-hmm. I was American." Yep. And, and it's just funny that there wasn't an emphasis put on. Just think about it for the most part, right? Back in the day, the emphasis for at least a man was this, and a woman, we say that for a man first. Mm-hmm. A man was judged on how hard he worked. Yep. Did he keep his word? Yep. How how was his family? Like, that's how a man was judged. Like, the average man was judged on those things. His character. His character. If it was the woman, is she virtuous? Is, yep. is she... You know what I'm saying? Is she is she respectful? Is she ladylike? Like, so I'm trying to figure out how do we erase all of that and we sum it up to black and white. Mm-hmm. I, I saw a girl. I saw a girl on a relationship show. She's on a panel, and she was going off, and she was saying that the guy she the guy said, if I meet a young lady to go out on a date, he said first I want to sit down and have coffee with her and talk to her for a couple of hours before we pursue mm-hmm. dating. So she gets offended. She's like, you broke. That's you. I'm worth more than this. But he said, you sound like you in this for the money. Mm-hmm. Like you sound. And so she says, her, her response is, I'm a black woman. You can't talk to me like that. I'm black. I'm a black. Like, and, and, and my mind was like, if this was... <laughs> 80 years ago, that would never would have yeah. A white woman would have been saying that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like she yeah. would have been saying, How dare you talk to me like that? I'm a white, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like he would have been offended. And then we fast forward, and this girl was literally saying, I am a black woman. You can't even talk to me. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like Unbelievable. going off. I'm a black woman. Like, how dare you? I'm I'm like, you sound like you were. It, it's, it's, it really sounded like a racist white woman talking like back in the day, like right, you, like you colored and I'm and I'm white. <laughs> and how dare you? Yeah, it's uh, you know I think that the whole relationship thing and and the dynamic and the idea of marriage now the way it's viewed, you know, there's only emphasis on the negative that mm-hmm. that's happening. And a lot of it is, you know, every time I see, see these like videos and hear stories about what you just said, and I hear this stuff on, you know, I see this stuff and I'm like, this is why y'all hated Kevin Samuels Ooh. because, you know, it, he was right about all of y'all mm-hmm. and you didn't, you didn't like it. You didn't, you know, forget the message. You hated the messenger because, 
you had somebody that was telling you like it is and calling it, calling you on the carpet because of the way you were behaving and your mentality. And man, you know, it's just, it's shameful because it's going to take, you know, it's going to take, you know, some, you know, some real love stories to be pushed to the forefront for people to actually see that, you know, there are a lot of people that are having successful marriages, successful, meaningful relationships that are, you know, leading to marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, that stuff is is happening. It's out there. It's not, you know, all about a broken home or, you know, a separation or, you know, even the concept of a blended family. You know what I mean? That, you know, that stuff, those ideas, you know, that these love wins stories that come out, it's all about, you know, these these are the women that, you know, for somebody to say, you can't talk to me like that or, you know, and I and I guarantee without seeing that clip when he said it sounds like you're in it for the money. I guarantee you she never answered the question, you know, because oh, no, no, she did. She didn't no, <clears throat> no, because. They don't want to they don't want to real they don't want to. Reconcile with themselves that they are looking for a certain sense of security financially, you know, or you know, they want you to have what they have or better, you know, that, you know, at least at, at the very least, you have to have what I have mm -hmm. if I'm going to entertain you, you know, but I want you to have more than what I have, but you got exactly what I have. Then, you know, I remember, man, when I, I lived in Atlanta, I used to work in, uh, I worked in property management and the lady I worked for beautiful. I mean, mm -hmm. like, Oh man, just, you know, and she was single and she had this guy that she was dating and he used to come up to the office. He was obviously trying to, you know, marry her. He was trying to, you know, get her to settle down. Mm -hmm. And one day he and I had a conversation. I was in my mid twenties when this conversation happened. And he said something to me that was one of the most profound statements that I've ever heard when he said about, you know, single independent women, he said that pro he said where, where she was concerned, he said, listen, man, her problem is she's been the queen so long. She forgot where the King's chair is. Mm. And I was just like, okay. Mm. And so, mm. so they, they split up and I had a conversation with her and I asked her, I said, Hey, you know, because we used to we used to talk, we were on, we were on, even though she was my superior, we had that relationship where I could talk to her. She's an older lady, but you know, we could talk. And I asked her, honestly, I said, you know, I said, you have done well for yourself. I said, you have moved up in the company you work for. You got a nice house. You got, you know, two nice cars. You know, you got it going on. And I said, if this guy wants to marry you, he got his own stuff going on. And I said, so if y'all come together in a union, what happens? Like, do you move into his house with him? And before I could finish my sentence, she cut, oh, oh no, 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 no. He got to move in with me. He moved into my house. He got to get rid of his car and his uh, his house and all of that Ooh. stuff. Because I got I got the house and I got this and he got to come. And I was just like, I just put my hands up. I was like, okay. Uh, you got it. <laughs> you got it. And. I don't even I, she never to this. I don't know if she ever got married. I think she's still single. And so what 
and I can say that because it's very likely, unlikely that she'll hear this 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 podcast. But right. I think about her when Kevin Samuels used to talk. I used to think about her a lot because she was the die alone type, you know, of woman that he would talk about. Like you're gonna die alone. I'm sorry to tell you, you know, because you think the way you do, you're going to die alone. And those women who come across as being a boss or, you know, I'm I'm that chick, you know, this and the third, you know, they have bought into the lie. And so they perpetuate it out to other women who don't know any better. And they all just group in together. Right. And it becomes this popular thing where a guy like, you know, you or me are seen as a square because we are looking for something you know, else. So, okay, you're attractive. What else can you do? You know, that's not enough. It's not enough that you look good. Like what kind of values do you bring to the table? Like mm-hmm. if that's all you are, then that's, I'm sorry, that's not enough for me, but we're seen as being a square and you know, that independence, it ties into how we gravitate towards these religions that will feed that independence and you're your best you and this and the third and you, 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 there's no dying to self. There's no lay down your cross and take up mine. You know, you forget who you are and live. Let me come and make my home in you and live inside of you. There's none of that, that spiritual dynamic of, you know, being in right relationship. All of that stuff is out the door because nobody wants to lose who they are because we, we love our flesh. We love ourselves too much. And it's just, I don't, you know, that's why I don't, I don't pay any of them attention because, you know, it's just misguided and it's the loudest voices that get pushed, you know, to the front because there's nothing to strive for. It's a set of rules and behavioral modification that I can just follow, you know? Right. I mean, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, thinking that, that we're squares what I find funny is I had a friend of mine, he was, he was, uh, I guess dating a young lady and they go out on the first date, you know, after they, they had like, you know, talked on the phone a few times, went out, you know, basically spent like the whole day together. And, you know, they were talking and he was like, you know, I'm basically, you know, I'm celibate waiting to get married. Mm-hmm. And when he tells her this, you know, her, her response is like, whoa, like he said he could see the look on her face. He said it was almost like uh, shock and panic mm-hmm. because he's, he said, because she knows if a man tells her that he's, he's not, he, he's a, he, he's a guy that cares about himself. He, 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 he thinking about the future. Like he's not a foolish man. Right. And so a lot of times that is intimidating to women if you're not just going after her by, like you said, you look good. Okay. What else? Mm-hmm. Most women, if you don't want them physically, they don't really have, uh, not that you don't want them. You, you, you just, you just prioritizing, you know, what you really want in a woman. You're going to look at character, right. all these things, but most women pass the, like, if you're saying you look good, but what else they really don't, have a plan B. Like they don't really no. have a counter, they don't really have a counter move. And nope. so if you're not if you're like if you're not just because most of the game we see played out there is God wants to sleep with woman, woman leverages, 
him wanting to sleep with her for as long as she can. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yep. It's usually how it works. And so when a guy comes into the dating market and he's like, I'm waiting till marriage, it almost flips. It's like a paradigm shift. Yeah. Now, now the woman has to be on uh defense. You know, she's <laughs> like, wait a minute, this dude. Because you got to think now, think about it. You're married, but even if a single woman talks to you, just like just talk, y'all just talk about. She gonna be like, he don't sound like the guy I used to. I usually talk to. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, yep. and, and, and to me, they can say what they want to say, squared, all that stuff. But really, it's intimidating because they know what you're asking of them. They have not put any stock in. Right. Yeah. So it's just funny that when he told her that her face looked. He said she looked crazy. She and she was like, just couldn't her jaw. She couldn't believe it because now she's thinking, okay, man. What am I going to do? I, I don't have it. Right. I don't have it. Yeah. Yeah. These, these shortcomings, man. And I think, you know, it's just like you said, when you, when you are, when you realize when somebody points out that you're at a, you're operating at a deficit and you know that you're operating at a deficit, anger is a natural reaction, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so that's why people lash out. And who, who you think you talk? You can't talk to me like that, you know. And so they they'll surround themselves with these other single women that have had the same experience. Yes, that have met some guy that will lay down and let them run over him, yep. you know, and not take responsibility. That won't you know hold himself accountable, uh, and just allow you know stuff like you know just. You know, it just it just doesn't happen, man. I, I've said for years that I am terrified of being single and the, the and to fathom the idea of having a date in this climate, you know, right now. And and to, you know, I'm just I don't I don't know. I don't know how I would navigate that. And it's it's absolutely horrifying to me to think to think about it. So if I feel that way. You know, I have some single friends, man, some, you know, guys that I've known all my life that are single. And they 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 tell me all the time about how hard it is for them to just have a genuine conversation with, you know, a woman that just, you know, is not consumed in herself, you know, cares about, you know, how strangers on social media treat her. You know, it's just it's it's impossible to overcome that stuff. And so you know, it's why these statistics come out that, you know, in the next 10 years, m- more women will be single and childless than have ever had you oh, know, yes. in, in society, you know, so and men are not wanting to date, man. I was I was telling my wife that there's a statistic that came out that said because of the Me Too movement, men in the workplace don't even want to work with women anymore right. for fear that they might be put in a position to where they get canceled or lose their job or, you know, at at the very least have some disciplinary action, you know, come to them. I mean, look at Don Lemon, you know, how he's in trouble now for what he said, you know, granted, I don't know if I would have said the same thing that he said, but now, you know, you had the female employees that came out and said they're offended by what he said and they want him terminated. And so the statistic even went on to say that even if there's a group project that the boss gives out and says, Hey, this is what I want done. You know, you all get together and get it done. 
the male employees are opting to work with each other and not with the female employees for fear that I don't want any mixed message to get misconstrued and I get right. in trouble for something. So it's better for me to just work with the guys so that I can get it done without, you know, all of this extra stuff. And whether women like it or not, this is an environment that they asked for. Right. You know, so. Um, Hold on one second. I, I thought Don yeah. Lemon said that women were past. Did he say women were past their prime at age 40? Uh, 51. Uh, no, 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 no. He did. He said women are in their prime in their 20s and 30s. And so when oh. they get, yeah, when they get past that, they get past their 30s, they're past their prime. And so he was, you know, they, they took it as him saying that Nikki Haley being 51 is unqualified to vote for, I mean, to run for president. Aside from the fact that he's a hypocrite because Hillary Clinton was much older when she right. ran and right. he supported her. Right. But, right. you know, right. so I digress. But, you know, I don't, it's just, this is, this is the environment. And I, and I told somebody that the feminist movement is probably, it, it, I can make an argument that that is the biggest okie doke that the black community fell for, where you have white feminists that were championing these, uh, the feminist movement to black mm -hmm. women while they went, you know, at the end of the day, they went home to their husbands when it was right. over and done with. And black women were like, yeah, I don't need a man. You need to get out, you know, blah, blah, blah. I can do this myself. And what do you mean I can't work? And so on and so forth. And white women weren't doing that at home. They they were at home, you know, taking care of the house while their husband was out doing their thing, doing, you know, what he was doing. I mean, right. they, they probably worked. But, man, the division that that movement sowed into our community that perpetuated the breakdown of our family structure that made it so easy for the government to come in and say, make a choice. You can have government assistance and welfare, but your husband can't be in the house. Your boyfriend can't be in the house. And they say, well, I'll, I'll take this free money. You know, so. Yeah. And you, you got to think the feminist movement, if we're, if we're honest, it literally killed two, three birds and one stone. It mm. got, it got the women, it got the men and it got the children. It, it literally hit yep. all. Because yep. think about me now, right? I'm single, right? Now. Mm -hmm. And the women, it's, it's, I'll be honest, it's almost impossible. And it's not impossible to meet a woman. You can, and people get this misconception. You can meet a woman that's educated, got all the stats every day. All oh, that's not the issue. The issue is going to be when she opens her mouth. And, and so even with me, like, I'm not, you know, I'm celibate, you know, waiting till right. marriage, all this stuff, you know, God first, all this, mm -hmm. that's not appealing to women. It's just not, maybe no. it, it, it is not, they don't, they don't find it appealing. They also, they actually find it offensive. Like, that, like yeah. one girl was like, how like she was almost offended that I wasn't <laughs> having sex. I'm like, what the heck? Like you offended like did not like that oh god oh and, and, my and so, god yeah man listen when i tell you out here it is oh my goodness uh, and it's and it's come i imagine it's compounded for you because you're in the atlanta area now right so i'm in atlanta so you know it's 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 compounded magnified you know it's <laughs> it's it, because the problem with atlanta is atlanta is 
an anomaly because there's so many women from all over the U.S. coming. Yep. Like it's like a melting pot. A uh, melting pot of the black woman is in Atlanta. You get mm-hmm. all of the types of black women all over the country in here. You get the sophisticated, you you get all of them. You get the ratchet. You get the you get every aspect of black woman here in Atlanta. But I will say this: they all share the same brain. <laughs> Uh, oh man hey i don't i don't care if she's and i'm gonna be honest i don't care if she's educated or not educated i don't care if she's travel coach none of that stuff matters on the fundamental things that you would talk to a woman about they all sound the same wow i believe it and i and so living in atlanta i know that you're telling the truth (laughs) <laughs> I, I know I know that you're telling the truth because I lived I lived in Atlanta from 1997 to 2007. And that was not things were not as bad as they are now. And so it, it was, was good a, in the 90s. Though. Like yeah, it was it, like your time period was pretty. It was good, though, like nine late 90s, 2000s. Yeah, you was it was it was good. It yeah. was good. And yeah. and I realized that. But here's the thing. I'm going to tell you that when when I, you know, lived in Atlanta for all of my twenties. Okay. I moved, I left, I left, uh, Atlanta when I was 28 years old, I was going on 29 and I knew that my thirties were coming and it was time for me to move and to shift into a new phase of life. And I knew I wanted to get married and have a family. That was goal. But I also looked around Atlanta and I saw, you know, I didn't know people, I didn't know too many people that were married, that were staying together, that were happy. Right. You know, people were separated. They were right. roommate situations in the house, right. you know, or, you know, there was this uh, unspoken arrangement that, you know, people are just going to be unfaithful and do what they want to do. Yep. And so I knew that if I'm going to have a successful marriage, I can't live in this city. And so I made the choice to leave. That was one of the main reasons why I left. And, and that's not a knock on, you know, I know, I know for a fact, I'm not, I'm not foolish enough to know that, to think that there are no successful marriages happening in the city. You know, I know that there are, uh, but by and large, the mentality that comes with, it's like the spirit that resides over the city of Atlanta, mm-hmm. that when people move there they get, yep, they get glamored into this idea of, first of all, of stardom, the whole black Hollywood, yes. you know, dynamic, uh, you know, I've never seen so many people that move to a city and out of nowhere, they have these music aspirations, you know, they have these, I, I don't, I don't know how that works where people just like all of a sudden I live in Atlanta. I want to be a rapper now. Or I want to be a, a singer now or something like that. I'm like, what what how like where did that you know so the effect that the city has on people i know it all too well and when i look at it now i just like man so many times i just think that it's no way that i could could have stayed in that city and not you know uh had at least one baby mama you know uh or just you know this these situations that just are not Un, they're just unfruitful situations for me. They're not edifying yeah. for me, you know? So um, to anybody listening to this, that's in Atlanta that is married and you're doing it and it's, it's going good for you. I applaud you. I know you're out there. 
but by and large, you are not the norm. No, not at all. You know, I hate to say it, but you know, you got a good thing going, keep it going because it's not easy in that city, man. I know so many people that are divorced, separated. I know couples that, you know, I know husbands and wives that moved to Atlanta. They left where they were. They yes. moved to Atlanta and they got divorced when they yes. got there. Yes. Things were going yes. great. They got to Atlanta and they got yes. divorced. You yes. Know, yes. It's just, it's just the it's it's just what comes with the city. It comes with the, you know, it's just a part of the makeup. So man, I just <laughs> This, this, the relationship part of it is the dynamic that affects our community. And we spent this whole entire conversation and I don't want people to feel like we were just like, you know, dunking on black people, the whole conversation. It may feel that way, but I said, I said that I'm hard on our community because I know what our community is capable of. Right. And so we we want to, you know, we want the black excellence to come to, you know, the excellence in our community to come to the forefront where we're not, you know, marginalizing ourselves by the foolishness that you heard in this conversation today. And I think that, you know, the underlying theme of this conversation is what's missing is the lack of a a a, a bona fide spiritual connection where you know, there's, there's actually, you know, a root, you know, in Christ, a root in God, you know, a, a, a a genuine walk, you know, with God. And, you know, that's the underlying theme. And until we get back to that, I think we're going to continue to have the problems that we're having and they're going to continue to be compounded over and over and over again. And man, we could keep going. I know we could we could keep going. And and this is like I, I definitely want to I want to have you come back for a part two conversation for us oh, to yeah. kind of flat flesh out some more of this stuff and some more of these topics. And man, I, I think about the, the conversation, the first conversation we had, we, there was stuff in that conversation that we didn't bring up in this conversation. But the 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 meat that was, you know, that we did touch on and, and what we did share in this conversation, it was, it was for this time and it was for the people that are going to hear it. And so um, I appreciate you again for agreeing to have this conversation with me. Uh, and I'll say this, anybody that's listening, please do yourself a favor. Find he is Blanchard on social media. That's your social. That's your Instagram. You just on Instagram. Are you on Facebook? Well, well, I don't really go on Facebook, but I'm on YouTube. Uh, yes, YouTube. Yeah, he is, he is Blanchard on YouTube. He is Blanchard on Instagram, or he is Free Blanch on Instagram. He is Blanchard on Twitter. Um, that's about it. Listen, you want to be connected. You want to see and hear what he has to say. The post that he puts up, I guarantee you. You can find value in all of them.